Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvik. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Zambig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about a UFO that crashed in the 40s. No, not that one. A different one. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. Shout-outs going out to the patrons. Hey, patrons, we're getting mighty close to the 200th episode. As I've said before, if you've ever been a patron or are currently a patron... Send me an email to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com if you want me to possibly promote your company, your art, your Etsy, your whatever. Again, possibly. I have final say, but I want to have the 200th episode brought to you by the patrons. Straight up across the board. Patron promotion, whatever you want to call it. It's all about the patrons, because without them, I wouldn't have made it to the 200th episode. I definitely wouldn't have a lot of the stuff that I have for Paranormal Investigations and for the show. So if you skipped ahead on this already, well, that sucks. That's why I tell people, don't skip ahead. It takes less than two minutes for me to go over this. But, patrons, email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com with your thing, your website, your link, whatever of what you want me to promote, possibly. Once again, I have final approval, but I figured why not make the 200th episode, all of the commercials brought to you by the patrons. Alrighty, speaking of patrons, head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac for even more Paranormal Almanac. That's right, they get more stuff than you guys because they deserve it. Shoutouts going out to Tracy, Ginny Mailman. I found out, not a cryptid, or... A cryptid that is just clever enough to tell me that they're not a cryptid to get me off the scent. D. Henry, Tony, Flory, Jason, Vicky, Crow, Carrie, Clay, Tim, Buzz, Tom, Lobita Works, Glacier, Maine, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Tamara, Tamara, Amber, Tracy, Matthew, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic, Robot, Webcomic, email me. I'll promote that. Sandy Page, Kosh, Sean, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Christopher, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times 10, Alexandra, George, uh, Armor Times 10, also sounds like a thing, you know, let me know. George, Seth, Zozo the Demon, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, and Phil Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Stacy, Jerry, Scoston, Lindsay, Hahn, Megan, Matt, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence Strawn, hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jaden, Anashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan. With a special shout out to George Brown of GeoboxSpiritBox.com. 
Check them out. Go to geoboxspiritbox.com. This is a non-paid promotion, but just something that is very, very cool. And as always, two special shout-outs to Joe and Stitch. All righty, let's get right on into the Hand of Fate update. Insert music here. I probably don't have it. It's fine. If I do, cool. If not, Hand of Fate update. All right, if you don't follow me on Facebook or if you haven't checked the Patreon or you don't do any kind of social media whatsoever, you've been missing out because for the past week, past week, yeah, past week, anytime I get a chance, evenings, afternoons, daytime, I've been doing Paranormal Craft Corner. I did like four or five of them. They're videos that you can watch where what I did was I actually molded the hand of fate. I put it in silicone mold, came out of there, made, you know, I obviously made the silicone mold, put it in the mold, came out of there, filled that with resin, and now I have copies. One-to-one scale, perfect replicas of the hand of fate. Why? Well, neither watch the videos because I hint at it, or wait until the 200th episode. But they're there. I'm looking at them right now. There is an a indeterminate amount, I'm not going to tell you, of hand of fates sitting right there. Nope. Hold on. That was not what I wanted. Sitting right there. Nope, that's not it. Sitting right there. There we go. That's much better. What am I going to do with them? What do they look like? Did it work? Was it easy? All these questions and more can be answered if you either have either the Facebook pages, the Paranormal Almanac, or the Paranormal Almanac fan page, or you're a patron because I put them right on there. Or just wait until the 200th episode, which is coming up very soon. But there's your hand of fate. Oh, uh, the real one? Real one's still sitting there. Looks looks fine. Doesn't seem to be too angry about the fact that I have made a mold and now have replicas of it. Very light replicas, I might I might say. Maybe, maybe there's more than one. I don't know. Uh, but very light replicas of the hand of fate. Alrighty, uh, go over to uh, tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. That seems to be the only way, which is ridiculous to me, seems to be the only way that you can find all of the merch that we have available. Uh, There's sales constantly, so keep an eye on it. The stuff goes on sale fairly regularly. I got to say, Tee Public is awesome about just throwing stuff up on sale for like shits and giggles. Oops, spooks and tingles. That's one of the new shirts. Um, But yeah, check it out. Uh, There's a lot of stuff, including a bunch of 200th episode shirts. Those are limited edition shirts that I am taking down one by one. If you've noticed, a few of them have been taken down already. More will be taken down after the 200th episode. Actually, all of them will be taken down after the 200th episode. So head on over to tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac for all your paranormal almanac merch needs. I don't know what to say. All right, let's get right into... Paranormal news. Have you ever seen Bigfoot riding on the back of Nessie while being sucked up into the sky by a UFO, all to the soundtrack of a choir of ghost cats being led by a black-eyed child? Is this story true? Well, there's only one place you're gonna find out. 
Get all my news from paranormal news. Listen carefully for the clues. The stories are strange and bizarre. It makes you wonder just who we are. This is paranormal. Take it away, Kurt. I will, Buzz. Sorry for that commercial that just popped up. Gotta say, I really like the cat that's in the background on that one. Uh, But yeah, I just clicked on the first story to have it ready for when this um, amazing bumper music that Buzz Lee wrote for me and performed. Fucking awesome. I love it. But I had the first one up and it already like automatically started playing a commercial. So you got like one second of a commercial in the middle of that awesome tune. Not cool commercials. Not cool. Okay. The first story in paranormal news. Ohio ranked among top four states for Bigfoot sightings in a new survey. See locations of the most recent reports. That's right. The top five states with the most Bigfoot sighting are uh, listed are, hold on, wait, I've got something, I've got something for this. Uh, Here we go. Let's do the top five states with the most Bigfoot sightings are Washington, California. Florida, Ohio, and Illinois. Give yourself some points if you guessed Washington, California, Florida, Ohio, and Illinois. Let's see. Ohio is among the top five states of potential Bigfoot encounters, according to a new list from BetOhio.com. All right, well... If you're going to betohio.com, obviously Ohio is going to rank pretty damn high on this one. I'm calling bullshit on that, but I'm going to keep reading. They, they say, no, no, it's not, so I'm going to keep reading. They used information from the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization to compile the number of credible sightings by state that were credited and maintained by researchers, archivists, and investigators of Bigfoot. Okay, hold on a second in the room. Good girl. Bet Ohio's rankings have Ohio listed as number four with 5.7% of the total credible Bigfoot sightings reported in the United States behind Washington, California, and Florida. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization lists 315 total sightings throughout Ohio stretching back to 1974. According to Ohio's County Journal, Ohio's Bigfoot, known as the Grassman, is most likely to be spotted in the Appalachian Trails. Oh, sorry. Appalachian, oh, Appalachian, oh, I already forgot how to say it. Appalachian, I'm going to say it's that way. Appalachian foothills of eastern Ohio. Another hot spot is the state's northern central region. Say that there is a, oh, this one guy, Mark D. Worth, a noted Bigfoot researcher, said he was followed by a Bigfoot coming out of an old Ohio strip mine. Two hikers also saw Bigfoot in the Salt Fork State Park. The most recent reports of Bigfoot sightings in Ohio come in July of 2021 in Jefferson and Mahanogan, 
Mahoning, Mahoning, I don't know, counties, two counties. According to the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, the Jefferson County report happened amid missing chickens that resulted in the discovery of large footprints near Bloomingdale. See, I got that one right. That uh, Mahoning, sure, county report involves a, a couple that returns home to witness a Bigfoot crossing their driveway outside of Columbiana. Earlier this year, Blossom Music Center in Cuyahoga Falls captured a lot of attention with its epic Bigfoot video prank for April's Fool's Day. You can watch it here. No, I won't watch it here. I don't care about that. I want real Bigfoot. Also, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Not even grass, man. All righty, up next in paranormal news. Hi, Rum. How's my girl? You're a good girl. Yes, you are. I love you very much. Mysterious metal orb found in Mexico after, quote, falling from the sky. No, no, no. You can't have that. That's not for you. That is not for rums. That is a cap to my water bottle. Leave it alone. I love you, but stop it. According to the reports, the sphere had a code on the outside. It says that fans of mysterious chunks of metal, which, sure, it's got to be a lot of those, rejoice because a big metal orb has been found in Mexico, prompting people to speculate it's part of an alien spaceship. Or something not alien spaceship, probably. A satellite, I'm guessing, or a rocket. Those are usually the two main causes of shit that falls out of the sky. The orb, which meteorologist Isidro Cano described in a Facebook post as a very hard plastic or an alloy of various metals, showed up just on showed up on the top of a tree just north of the city of Veracruz. Witnesses saw the orb falling from the sky, making a noise, but no fire. Writing in alarming all caps, he explained that people should not touch or come near it until it's been reviewed by a specialist. It may have radioactivity. Uh, it looks plastic to me. I got to the photos in the post. Uh, in a follow-up post, he referred to a code on the outside of the orb and reiterated that it should not be opened despite also claiming that there are, no, or there are no obvious signs of openings where the orb could actually be opened. Adding further mystery to what the orb is, he claimed that the spheres are timed so that sometime they'll open on their own and show the valuable information they bring within them. Well, how do you know that? On Monday, he updated his followers to explain that the artifact had been removed at 3.15 a.m. by a, a local time by a highly trained and specialized team to be taken out of the borders of Mexico. As for what it was, reasonable guesses it could have been a weather balloon, or if you're going to be exotic, genuine space debris. Over the weekend, China's long March 5B rocket fell back to Earth with pieces found in Borneo as well as the Philippines. While earlier in July, an Australian farmer found a large chunk of what appears to be a SpaceX rocket. So it's not out of the realms of a possibility. Yeah, it's probably a rocket or a satellite, and yeah, I probably wouldn't open it, but also probably would keep it, though. I'm just saying. Up next in paranormal news. With new study, NASA seeks to find... NASA seeks the science behind UFOs. Woof! Come on, Kurt. With new study, NASA seeks the science behind UFOs. Although modest in scope, a NASA research project reflecting shifting attitudes towards the formerly taboo subject of the UFOs. That's about all you need to know. NASA's doing a uh, whole thing. They're trying to prove UFOs through science, which I'm all for. I really am. I think it's a great idea. But it's such a really wordy, oddly worded um, news article that, frankly, I don't want to read. So you get the, you get the gist. NASA says finally, all right, we'll help, but we're going to do it in a scientific way. Again, I think that's pretty cool. 
Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, this is the one I, <laughs> I, I wanted to get to. Jack Osborne goes UFO hunting, but instead catches a shapeshifter on camera with exclusive video. I swear to God, I fucking saw a skinwalker and we got it on fucking tape, dude. The paranormal investigator says in a new Discovery Plus Night of Terror special. If you guys don't know, uh, Jack Osborne has been doing a lot of paranormal stuff. I actually reached out to him a couple of times to be on the show in any way, shape, or form because I can kind of get behind it and I kind of dig it, even though he seems to find stuff everywhere he goes, which that's my like only red flag. But he seems like a genuinely cool guy. Well, he just recently went out uh, for Discovery Plus. He went out with uh, Jason Muse of Clerks, you know, Jay and Silent Bob duo. He went out with Jason Muse to find Bigfoot. And uh, it was highly entertaining. That's all I can say. It was really highly entertaining. It was not the most scientific of expeditions, but boy, howdy, did I enjoy it. Well, now, Jack Osborne, Night of Terror, Jack Osborne's Night of Terrors, colon, UFOs. He'll team up with Jason Muse again, rock on, and Jamie Kennedy. How, what? Come on. That's bizarre. The trio will head off to Utah's, the Yunta Basin, where uh, basically if you've ever seen Skinwalker Ranch or listened to my episode about Skinwalker Ranch, saw the show, watched the documentaries, whatever, that's where they're going. If you don't know what Skinwalker Ranch is, it's got it right in the title. It's a ranch. It's got Skinwalkers on it. Skinwalker Ranch. Let's see. uh, He says that he's been obsessed with the concept of whether or not we're alone since I was a kid staring up at the stars. The Yunta Basin has fascinated me for years. It's a mecca for alien and supernatural activity. People are drawn here for very specific things, but when you come here looking for it, you often find something you're not looking for. I've never been able, I've never been to any place like this. It's its own realm. I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Let's see. Muse and Kennedy bring some comedy relief to what would otherwise be a tense, spine-chilling discoveries. Like Kennedy confessed he was okay if he saw an alien along the way, as long as it doesn't mess me up. That's a fair observation. All right, but there's a video, and I want to watch it. So let's turn it up, and let's watch it now. My curiosity with the unknown began when I was a kid staring up at the stars. I would obsess over whether or not we were alone in the universe. Oh, dude, this went so deep so quick. (laughs) My two friends, Jason Mewes and Jamie Kennedy, are coming along with me to investigate. All right, guys. I brought you to the Uinta Basin. There's so much it's magnetic Uinta, energy Uinta. here. It, this is like an entry point into our reality. You will never go to a place and meet so many people who've had so many paranormal experiences. This is like Bourbon Street for paranormal. We're talking with experts. It's craziness here that you can't really put into a category. Oh, I see it. Okay. No, it's right no, one there. Yeah. That is not a satellite. Dude, I don't know. This is weird. And searching for the elusive skinwalker. Whatever this is seems to be toying with people. I signed up for seeing some blinky lights. I did not think this was part of what it is. And it, it is, yeah, it is a little terrifying. Oh, Someone just freaked me out. Someone's walking over there. Who's over there? There's something out here. I don't know what. Who the f is that? Who the f was this? Dude, I think we saw a f-ing skinwalker, bro. Oh, sh- dude. <laughs> okay. I'm not getting paid for that. That's a free ad for them. But uh, I was hoping they would just show the clip part of the uh, 
the skinwalker, which I guess they kind of did, but I'll be honest, it just looked like some guy walking in the desert. But uh, sure, it's a skinwalker. Why not? Um, I just think it's it's that's just dumb fun. Look, I've kind of lightened up on the whole like just dumb paranormal shows lately, and uh, I watched the Kesha one, which if you haven't watched it, um, I like it a lot. I've asked Kesha to be on the show. I like her podcast. Um, Quite a bit, but the uh, but her show is just dumb fun, just good old dumb paranormal fun. Now, I will say that when I was watching one episode, I was able to debunk a claim within ten seconds of googling, just ten seconds of googling. So definitely don't believe everything that you hear, but you know, take that from everybody, including me. Grain of salt, me as well. Like honestly, I tell you to, but I will say that. If I can Google something in 10 seconds and they left it on the show as, quote, fact, like historical fact, blah, 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 did blah, blah, blah here. And then I'm like, really? I don't believe that. And I Google it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not true at all. Then come on, guys. You're just promoting. You're just regurgitating bullshit, just fake bullshit. And that happens more often than not on these paranormal shows. But still, Kesha show. Yeah, I'll watch it. It's fun. Jack Osborne shows? Fuck it. Yeah, I'll watch them. It's just good fun. All righty. Up next in paranormal news. Oh, another one from Ohio. Ohio woman is convinced she recorded Bigfoot. Experts say it could be something else. All right. Now, I've not read this article yet. I was, you know, I saved most of the articles. I'm like, oh, that's a good headline. I'll, I'll read it on the air. Uh, I'm going to guess coyote, fox, anything other than a Bigfoot howl. But let's see. All right. Come on up, Rum. Oh, come on up, Rum. Come here. Come here. Come here. No? All right. The, the story says an Ohio woman thinks Bigfoot has returned to the wilderness near her home, and she believes she has audio proof. This is the first time I ever recorded howls, says Suzanne Ferencak. Sure. The two-minute-long recording, which she shared with Mansfield News Journal, part of the USA Today Network, captured the sound of an unidentified creature howling in the distance. She said that the uh, she has encountered Bigfoot in the area before, and she says... What I recorded, it was Bigfoot. Now, she says she plans to discuss her encounters during the Bigfoot Base Camp Weekend, which is September 9th through the 11th at Pleasant Hill Lake Park in Ohio. So, hey, there you go. If you're in Ohio or you want to be in Ohio in first week of September or second week of September, go to the Bigfoot Base Camp Weekend, September 9th through 11th at Pleasant Hill Lake Park in Ohio. But... Other other wildlife experts, they aren't so certain. They said that the sound could have been simply an alpha male coyote. Oh, wait, wait, alpha male coyote. Didn't I say that one? I think I did. I am going to give myself... Correct answer, Kurt. Show us coyote on the board. So, yeah, let's see. She says, I always have a recorder going. That's weird. Um, she caught a glimpse of Bigfoot first when it allegedly jumped over a back road southeast of Ludenville, Ohio in May of 2013. It was a seven and a half foot tall hairy beast. She said it was a Bigfoot. Uh, let's see. I want to, where's the recording? I want to listen to the recording. Uh, maybe here. Let's try this. No. Where's the recording? Because I want to hear it. Really? Show me, show me recording. Uh, let's see. While I search for the recording. Oh, yeah, Rum's getting mad. While I search for the recording, let's, uh, let's do a little tense 
Bigfoot recording search music. I didn't find it in the time. I did not find it in time. Let's see. I, every one of these says she's got a recording. Where's the recording? Let's. Can we play the fucking? Can anybody play the recording? Nope. All right. Fuck y'all. Uh, it was a freaking coyote. Now I'm convinced it was recording because she doesn't even have the recording on every freaking news site that has a the story out there. Nobody's got the recording. Fuck y'all. I'm moving on to the next one. It was a freaking coyote. Hope Bigfoot stomps you. All righty, up next in paranormal news. A white craft was filmed over Maceo, Brazil? Sure, why not? On July 10th, 2020. Eyewitnesses state, I live in an apartment that has a penthouse very close to the sea, where there have been several sightings. What you hear is the noise of the sea along with my voice and that of a friend. I've seen many planes passing by, and I can say that this object is not a mere plane, and yes, of a triangular object, which followed a sloping line to the right of my balcony. I don't know much English, and I may put down some wrong information, but play the video. It summarizes everything that happened. In part of the video, I added a zoom, but right at the end, I took it out and distanced to get a real idea of the distance. Okay, I see what they're saying. All righty, let's, uh, let's check this out. It's one and a half minutes of somebody who saw a UFO in Brazil. Let's do this. There we go. Um, oh, there's apparently no sound. That's a that's a plane. It's obviously plain. It's it's got wings. It's very plane like. There's nothing that leads me to believe that this is not a plane. It's white. It's got two wings on the side of it. Oh God! When he zooms out, it's even more plane like. Uh. Let's see. Good Lord. Half of these people are like, hey, it's a UFO. I saw one just like it. And one guy's like, it's a plane. It looks and acts like a plane. It's a freaking plane. Ah, moving on. Nope. Boo. Hold on. Is that loud enough? Let's try that again. All right, boo on that one. All right, let's move on to the next one. This is a classic, one that I have not had in the uh, in paranormal news for a very long time. Investigators bewildered by death-slash-mutilation of an Oregon cow. Rancher David Hunt found a cow dead and mutilated July 23rd with her tongue, genitals, and reproductive organs cut out. She was placed in an upright position. That's terrible. Authorities are investigating the death and mutilation of yet another cow, this time on rangeland near Fossil, Oregon. And the culprit may have left a clue. A boot print. Ooh, interesting. There's a twist. The black Angus cow, a breeding animal worth about $1,000, was found dead on July 23rd and mutilated. Tongue, genitals, and reproductive organs were cut out. Her carcass was found upright, front legs tucked underneath, a position investigators say that they haven't seen before. That would be hard to do with a freaking cow. Cows are huge. How'd this person do that? Um, that was me adding that stuff. That's odd. The cause of death is unknown. But they said she died in a position she wouldn't have gotten into by herself. I don't have any kind of logical explanation for it, said David Hunt, owner of the Hunt Ranch and partner producer for Painted Hills Natural Beef Incorporated. This was definitely foul play involved in the animal's death. 
That was said by Deputy Jeremiah Holmes of the Wheeler County Sheriff's Office. Now, it's not the first time that Hunt has lost an animal to mysterious mutilation. Last December, he found a dead bull in the snow with its nose, lips, ears, tongue, tail, and genitals removed and blood drained. Deputy Holmes said he worked on that case, too, with no leads. He's also not the only rancher to lose an animal on this way. Uh, FBI cases record thousands of killings and mutilations of cattle across the United States since the 1970s. Animals are usually found with the same body parts missing and no culprit has ever been arrested. Hunt said he found the cow when he visited the pasture, as he does once a week, at a spot about a half a mile from the nearest road. He said he immediately called the sheriff's department. He said it's hard, it's hard to tell how the cow died. By the time authorities arrived, the animal had likely been dead a few days. Passed the window to perform a necro, uh, necropsy. Necropsy? Necropsy? Sure. The tongue and genital wounds were clean cut, not by a wild animal. The wounds weren't as clean cut as those of his bull last winter, though. How the cow died is a mystery. There are no dart punctures, no bullets, no strangulation marks, no rope burns. <clears throat> Excuse me. No tire tracks, no signs of poison. The uh, people are... In the area, speculate it could be cult members, satanic worshipers, even aliens, but something makes this case unique. That's right, they found a partial boot print about 100 yards away from the carcass. It's possible it was the rancher's own print, but Hunt says he hasn't stepped out of his vehicle in that area for a long time. Didn't look like his boot. Holmes said that wind and rain would likely have covered over the print by now if he had done it. The print said appeared to be fresh. Interesting. Boot print. Well, that leads it into a lot of people say that uh, cow mutilations or cattle mutilations are done by black ops helicopters, you know, men, not aliens, testing funky things. Why on cows? They don't really say. But other people say it's definitely an alien, so who knows? Alrighty, let me see. Is that it for paranormal news? Nope, there's one more story. Uh, yes. I wasn't going to add this story, but at the last minute I did because... I, I just call bullshit so many times. So this is like a bullshit part of paranormal news. A mom renovating Marilyn Monroe's final house with Joe DiMaggio makes a shocking discovery in the ceiling. They say it's truly remarkable. First of all, this was on Yahoo. It is a terrible, terrible article that seems to be like just promoting this TikTok star. I'm not even going to give you her name. It doesn't matter. It's fake anyway. But this TikTok star who her entire TikTok is basically her moving into the home of Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio. She moved in with her husband in 2019. She wants to be Marilyn Monroe. She looks just like Marilyn Monroe as much as you can, you know, that kind of a thing, dresses like her and acts like her. But, so this headline was, she found something shocking in the final house of Marilyn Monroe's final house, the Joe DiMaggio. It's a shocking discovery in the ceiling. What was it? Well... After I scrolled and clicked on fucking 90 different little TikToks, some idiot, there was, uh, let's see, some magazines shoved in a crawl space. Okay, cool. But that's not the shocking part. When she went to go change a light bulb, she found on the top of a beam, Marilyn Monroe had signed the top of the beam. Here's the problem couple of problems. One, that beam has been painted many times. Now it is a beige paint. Over the beige paint is a Marilyn Monroe autograph in black Sharpie. 
in case you guys didn't know, Sharpies were not invented until after Marilyn Monroe would have lived in that house. So unless she went back to it, let's see, I forget, I, I looked it up earlier, but let's, uh, let's look it up again. Sharpie the Marker was introduced in 1964. Marilyn Monroe died in 1962. So the truly shocking thing about this story is that Marilyn Monroe came back two years after she died. She clawed her way out of her little crypt in the wall in the Westwood Cemetery, went back to this house, climbed up to the ceiling right by this light bulb, and then signed her name in the brand new Sharpies and somehow managed to do it over the new paint because it's been painted many times since then. Basically, what I'm saying is um, it's just bullshit. She's, she's making a shit ton of money off of TikTok. She's got like millions of followers and millions of clicks and views and blah, blah, blah. And it's all bullshit. Straight up bullshit. I hope someone called her out on TikTok. I'm not going to because, frankly, I'm above that. But let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more paranormal news. Okay, we are back. On this edition, did I do everything? I think I did everything. Break, paranormal news, merchandise, and a fate update, 200th episode. Yeah, so let's just say I did. We're back. On this edition, I wanted to focus on one incident only. What I mean by that is I didn't want to do another episode where I just do a list of things that all have, you know, a familiar connection. Like, on this episode, all women and white ghosts. While I love those episodes, and I really do... I really like doing episodes on one story, focus on one incident. So if it takes me 15 minutes to do this one, or if it takes me an hour from this point, here you go. Because the other thing that I did somewhere along this way, I decided that the shows have to be an hour. Why? I don't know. It's my own freaking show. Why did I decide an hour? When I started, I said, like, you know, I'll do like 30-minute episodes, mini episodes, regular full episodes, over an hour episodes, there was no set time. Yet, I don't know, some some way, somehow, in the past 100 plus episodes, 200 episodes, I, I've been fixated about trying to make every episode about an hour long. Well, why? Why, Kurt? Why, why are you putting these restrictions on yourself or these regulations on yourself? So here you go. Whether this, this story takes 10 minutes from this point or an hour from this point, I don't care. I just really, really like this one. Okay, for this episode, we go to Laredo, Texas. Let's go back to July 7th, 1948. Interestingly enough, I was like, well, that date sounds familiar. And I looked, July 7th, 1948 is exactly to the day one year after the Roswell incident. To the day. Roswell took place July 7th, 1947. This one, it's a UFO crash, in case you didn't pay attention to the beginning, took place one year to the day after that. Alrighty. In Laredo, they had this thing called the Distant Early Warning or Dew Line. It was basically an early warning radar, which I'm sure you all know this. The Dew is a series of radar installations to provide a warning of enemy attack by air. At that point, it was about the most um, advanced 
enemy radar that we had. Remember, it's right after World War II, Cold War, high tense, you know, like high tension kind of stuff. So they had this thing called Dew. Well, <clears throat> it began tracking a very large unidentified object, object traveling at speeds in excess of 2,000 miles per hour. Now, this object, this UFO, because it's unidentified and it's flying, it entered the U.S. airspace over Washington, Washington State. Now, it was heading southeasterly, basically directly towards the Texas region. Or, as you, in case you don't know what America looks like, basically over half of the country. Two possible F-94 fighter jets were scrambled. Why do I say possible? I'll get to that later. Well, I can say it now. F-94s weren't, weren't invented yet in 1948. But there's a lot of people that say that the person that, that uh, gave most of this information just got it wrong. It wasn't an F-94. It was like an F-49 or something. You know, he got the number wrong. So don't basically two fighter jets. Let's just say it that way. They were scrambled from DS Air Base in Texas. Now, they were scrambled to fly up, identify, and if need, engage this cruising unknown object. Now, here's my huge nope already for this episode. Are you telling me that the government waited until the object was through most of the western states before it scrambled jets? That this do system would wait until, say it was an enemy, say it was Russia. This do system would wait until Russia was already within the United States, over Washington State, moving eastern. You're telling me that that's how far in they could get into America before someone would be like, I think we should probably scramble some jets. Not the F-94s, they don't exist, but some other jets. Are you kidding me? All right, let's continue. Supposedly, the jets get to it, and it, they say it looks like a huge fireball. But it starts to make a 90-degree turn, so not right there. It's going in the wrong direction, and it's changing direction, changing course, so it is not a meteorite. A lot of skeptics say they were chasing a meteorite, but it's not. Because it started making a 90-degree angle turn towards eastern Texas, and it's not slowing down. All right, so the jets are following behind this fireball, UFO, whatever you want to call it. And it starts to slow down, then speed up, then wobble in flight. So there's obviously something wrong with it. And again, obviously not a meteorite. And that's when it goes down. They figure out the, tra the trajectory of it. And it went down in Mexico, uh, approximately like 30 miles south of Laredo, Texas. So why they call this one the, the, the uh, Laredo crash is beyond me. Because it really didn't happen in Laredo. It happened in Mexico, 30 miles south of Laredo. But... Unfortunately, there's very little substantiated information for this UFO crash. So basically what I'm giving you right now is the best timeline that I could gather from the information that I could gather. Now, some sites say that the pilots said that they saw a large silver disc-shaped UFO, but I really don't think so. If you get past all the BS and you kind of get down to the basics, the ones that have like the basic timeline or the more specific timeline of like, you know, at 4.32 a.m., it passed over Oklahoma. At 4.36, it turned. I didn't think you guys needed all that. But if you get, you know, if you find those kind of sites where they have a lot more detail, they said that the pilots only saw a fireball. They never saw the silver disc-shaped UFO. All right. Anyhow, skipping ahead. Not skipping ahead. Continue on. So the UFO crashes. 
Pilots radio into the base. The base sends out a recovery team. It's scrambled. They, they do like cargo planes. They do Jeeps, everything they can. Because remember, this is 30 miles south of Laredo and inside the Texas or inside the Mexico border. It is not in Texas. So the U.S. government supposedly told the Mexican government, hey, you know what? We had a top secret U.S. special test vehicle. It experienced a malfunction and it crash landed. We need to go in and get it. And the Mexican government's like, sure, all right, you know, that's your shit. Go for it. Because at that time, it wasn't that bad. So the recovery team gets there and, yep, it's a UFO. It is a big silver disc-shaped UFO measuring about 90 feet in diameter, about 28 feet in thickness at the center, with a smooth metallic surface and no obvious seams, windows, doors, portals, anything. Now, a photographer on the scene from the White Sands Missile Test Center, that's in New Mexico, he would describe the object to UFO researcher Willard McIntyre, who was then with the Ohio UFO Investigators League, and also involved with the group calling itself the Mutual Anomaly Research Center and Evaluation Network, or MARSEN, which is A, the worst title and the worst acronym. At least S.H.I.E.L.D. came up with S.H.I.E.L.D., even though it was like a big, long title, if you've ever seen the Marvel movies. But, so this guy would say of it, initially, this is the photographer saying, to Willard McIntyre. So basically, we're, we're removed at least once by this point. Initially, it looked to be made up of earthly looking debris. The basic structure looked as if it could have been built by us. Now, the photographer that is, did notice a complete absence of any type of wiring, rubber, glass, plastic, wood, paper products. There were supportive structures which seemed to be held together by conventional bolts, but when the mechanics attempted to unscrew them with the wrenches, when the mechanics attempted to unscrew them with wrenches, they would not turn at all. They had to be eventually chiseled off and the metal was very hard. He went on to say that the army was using carbide and diamond drills and the diamond saws for the final disassembly of the UFO. Spoiler, it gets disassembled. There appear to be two kinds of metals involved. The first and most abundant could not be cut by the oxyacetylene cutting torches at all. Now, the second immediately began burning when the cutting torches were used on it. It was also noted that the structural skin of the UFO was blown away in the explosion and, just like in Roswell, the whole valley was littered with fragments of what appeared to be foil, just like in Roswell. And just like in Roswell, if you tried to pick it up, like you could pick it up and it was light as air, but if you tried to bend it, you couldn't bend the foil or you could bend it, it would go right back to its shape. It was very peculiar... Um, tendencies of it. Now, before anyone could leave the site, the MPs searched them and confiscated all fragments that had been collected because just like in Roswell, everybody wanted a little uh, souvenir of this newest UFO. And you also have to remember, this is, like I said, one year to the day after Roswell, they now knew what they were doing. He goes on to say there appeared to be five or six levels in the center of the UFO and they were told some sort of instrumentation and machinery were removed before the photographer had even arrived. He said there was no propulsion system or mechanism that was apparent when he got there. All right, here's the thing, in case you haven't figured out. This whole story reads so much like Roswell, even the date, like I mentioned. 
So that's a, I consider that a red flag, but, you know, not too, too much. So let's continue on. Now, the photographer said that among the wreckage was, was, you can guess, take a guess. What do you think it was? Did you, did you guess alien? If so, yeah, it was a, it was a UFO. It was a body. It was a, there was a badly burned body of an alien inside the UFO. Now, the photographer was sent in to the crashed UFO, which was still hot and still burning, he said, to photograph the alien as it lay. Here's what the photographer said about it. There was only one body, and it was badly burned, still in the structure. It was photographed in place inside the UFO as best as he could with the intense heat from the still smoldering remains and the burning hot sand. Now, after they had taken photos of the entire scene and attempted to use multiple flash guns and a tripod to record basically everything from a nearby hillside, the Air Force crash and rescue firemen on the scene dragged the body from the craft and put it on a nearby bank so they could photograph it away from the intense heat. Now, once the recovery team members asked, you know, what this was and where it came from, the commander that was there said, don't ask. He basically told them, just do not ask. Do your job, don't ask. An army captain who assisted them said, quote, the little fellow we were photographing did not come from this earth. The, they only saw and photographed one body, but he said, rumors were floating around the crash site that two or more creatures had been blown out of the vehicle and were captured and taken away, either injured severely, but still alive or possibly dead. Now, the dead body that he did photograph, he said, was four foot six inches long. Its head was extremely large for the body size by human proportions. The eyes were gone from the fire, but the eye sockets were much larger than in humans and were almost wrap around as to give like 180 degree vision, basically. He said there were no visible ears or nose, but there were openings where the ears and nostrils would have been in humans. He said there were no lips and the mouth was just sort of like a slit with no teeth or tongue. Now, there were two legs of normal, propor normal proportion with short feet having no discernible toes, he said. He said the two arms were longer than in humans and the hand had the four claw-like fingers each with no apparent thumbs. The arms and legs appear to have joints in approximately the same places in humans, and as soon as he completed a, um, as soon as a complete set, I should say, of eight by ten prints were made, he said they were done right there. They they took the photos, they did the prints. As soon as they were done with the prints, a commander or sergeant or somebody took them and left. Now the photographer did say later that there were forty negatives in all that were taken at the crash scene. Now, you got to remember, this isn't a digital camera. This was a professional photographer. So 40, you know, photos that they had to develop right then and there, that's impressive. He said the body was taken to a nearby base and guarded and either at the base or at the UFO, again, depend, again depending where you get the information. He said they actually did an examination of the body. I think... It's just a thing, I, just a thought, but I think they did the examination at the uh, actual crash site, crash site, they, you know, like in a tent or something. But again, it's so hard to determine. So somewhere after the crash, after they did the photos, you know, doctors or whoever were brought in, scientists were brought in to do an examination. Here's what was said about the examination. There were no teeth or tongue in the mouth. 
no apparent duct connecting the mouth to any part of the digestive system. There was no reproductive, reproductive organs that were visible. No stratified muscle fiber was discovered in any of the extremities. The tissue, which was gray in color, was extremely smooth, and the doctors compared its consistency to the tissue of a human female breast. Nope. Pause right here. <clears throat> really? They compared it to a boob. Bullshit. Are you telling me, like, the doctors are sitting there like, we got to compare it to something for the report. Like, like, touch the alien again. Tell me what it feels like. And the other guy's like, mm, you know, kind of feels like a boob. And the other doctor's like, you mean like muscle and fat tissue? Should I write that? No, it feels like a boob. Just write boob. It feels like a human boob. Write it. Everyone knows what a boob feels like, Bob. Just write boob. I call bullshit. All right, other non-boob-related things that they noticed were a bone structure in the extremities, more complicated than in humans. The entire abdomen was encased by a rib-like structure all the way to the hips. So basically the opposite of Marilyn Manson. The right arm extremity had a metallic joint at the elbow. The hands each had four digits, longer than human fingers. They tapered to almost a claw-like appearance at the tip. That's new. There were no opposing digits like thumbs. There was no visible evidence of toes. The feet came to a blunt point. The body appeared to have been clothed in a metallic-like material, most of which had been burned away. There was no evidence of hair growing on the head or other areas of the body. They, they checked for pubes. The only fluid found in the apparent veins in the extremities was colorless with a slight green cast and strong sulfurous odor. Boom. Done. That, in a nutshell, is the Laredo UFO crash story. Don't worry, I'm not done yet. All right, so where did this information come from? That's, like, key. This is a great story. It's fantastic. It's got just about everything, including a human boob feel to it. But where did it come from? Where did the story come from? Well, according to Texas Monthly, who did a piece about this crash, the story first surfaced in the 1950s, so not long after the crash. Then additional details were released in 1978 by Leonard Stringfield, who was one of the first UFO researchers. From there, it seems to me, to Kurt anyway, it seems to be all Stringfield, basically. And I hate having only one source, but Stringfield says, oh, no, there's multiple sources. I got the photographer. I talked to a guy, blah, blah, blah. He said, uh, Stringfield wrote, in the fall of 1977, new words of a 1948 crash came to me from a well-informed military source. His information, however, was scanty. He had heard from another inside military source that a metallic disc had crashed somewhere in a desert region. His only details indicated that the crash had suffered severe damage on impact and was retrieved by military units. Also, in 1977, Stringfield received more information about the case from another UFO researcher, a guy named Todd Zekel, Zetchel, I don't know, doesn't matter. Stringfield wrote, Formally with the National Security Agency, Zetchel, I'll just call him Zetchel, stated that a U.S. Air Force technician told him that his uncle, then a provost marshal at uh, Carswell Air Force Base near Fort Worth, Texas, had taken part in a 1948 recovery of a crashed UFO which was described as metallic disc 90 feet in diameter. 
Okay, so there's a whole lot of telephone game kind of already going on, but there's multiple sources if you believe these gentlemen. Then, December 1978, two photographs basically kind of fitting what Stringfield has already described of the dead alien appeared in Maryland. Now, these photographs, along with a very brief note, were received in the mail by Willard F. McIntyre. Now, he was the founder of a UFO group called the Mutual Anomaly Research Center and Evaluation Network. That's right, Marson, we're back. So this photo shows that badly burned body of the alien, just like the photographer said. They took a photo of it still in the uh, the UFO. Now, the photos were purportedly sented, sent to him by a retired U.S. Navy photographer from Tennessee. He claimed to have taken them at a UFO crash site along the Texas-Mexico border in 1948. Okay, you're following along. McIntyre says he got a photo from that photographer who said he was the one who took them back in 1948, who is now a retired U.S. Navy photographer who lived in Tennessee. So McIntyre says he's corresponding by mail with this unnamed former Navy photographer from 1978 until 1981. Now, McIntyre claimed that his group, Marson, terribly named, had thoroughly checked out the photographer's military service records and had verified that he was who he claimed to be. Then, the Eastman Kodak Company and a UFO group called Ground Saucer Watch both independently verified that the negatives of the photos that were given to McIntyre in 1978 were approximately 30 years old. Interesting if true. I'll get to that later. Now, these photos were released to the media in April of 1980 by Charles Wilhelm, who was the director of that Ohio UFO Investigators League. So there's, it's a whole bunch of UFO teams, all like, Sharing, hey, did you hear about this one? Check out this one. Look at this photo. Oh, my God. Is that real? I don't know. I think it is. I checked with uh, Kodak. It seems to be real. So this guy, Charles Wilhelm, he releases the photos. He's like, the world needs to see these photos. It was picked up by the Associated Press. They were published in a number of U.S. newspapers. Okay. From there, we go to Ohio UFO investigator Ron Schaffner. Sure. Who wrote... At 14.10 hours, other pilots in pursuit said the object was slowing down and was wobbling in flight. By 14.29 hours, the object disappeared from all radar screens. Using triangulation from the radar installations, it was determined that the object must have went down in Mexico approximately 30 miles south of Laredo, Texas. This site was about 30 miles south-southwest of Laredo, not far from the highway to Mexico City, and near where the Rio Sabinas joins the Rio Salado before they empty into the Rio Grande in the Sierra Madre Oriental. This location actually puts it almost directly across the border from the tiny Texas town of San Ignacio, sure, why not, in Zapata County, just south of Webb County. So basically, this guy says that he had all of the details and he knows exactly where the UFO crashed, which is good because hopefully a whole lot of people are going there, just like a lot of people went to Roswell, to try and find if any scrap of this UFO is still out there somewhere. This next point is kind of vague. Sometime later, sometime after 1980, 
Steinman and Stevens identified the witness. They finally say, here's the guy's name. Here's the photographer. His name was John W. Bowen, who said he was sent over to take immediate charge of cordoning off and controlling the area. According to them, Bowen's team secured the area. A team was flown in from the missile range at White Sand, New Mexico to photograph the crash site, and later a convoy of large Army transport trucks removed the wreckage, basically taking it to the San Antonio Air Depot for further study. So they have another guy. Sorry, that was not the photographer. It was another guy who called in the photographers. So now we have another guy who says he was there as well. So it is a bit of a telephone game to try and figure out where the story originated from, where this piece of information came from. Well, this guy had this piece of information, and this guy had this piece of information. This guy talked to this guy who said he was there. Well, this guy talked to another guy who said he was the photographer, and they kind of pieced it all together. Does this mean that the story is fake? Not at all. If you think about it, this is how one of these kinds of stories would come out piece by piece from people that were there that are finally telling the story. Didn't really get out until the 70s. That's 30 years later that these guys were sitting around going, Jesus Christ, I saw, an, I saw a UFO and it crashed and there was an alien. I got to tell my story. It seems reasonable to me. It really does. But let's get back to those photos. Are the photos legit? I don't know. But if they are fake, it doesn't mean that the crash was fake. Just that someone decided to cash in on this crash story that was starting to, you know, make its way through the web of UFO networks. It was going to get out. The story was going to get out. And somebody might have just made fake crash photos to, you know, cash in on this crash story, basically. Is the story real? Again, I don't know, but it definitely could be. Sure, I hate having, like one source really that kind of disseminated this whole story, but this source has other sources and they have other sources. So if you think what happened the year before in Roswell, the government now knew how to get there to clean it up, how to not go to the press blabbing about a UFO crash. They would know how to cordon off the area better, keep a lid on the story better. And just like with anything that's ever, that's amazing, the story would get out eventually, but it would kind of clamp down on it a little bit. So I lean towards the UFO crash happen. That seems reasonable to me. I know people that are like, you know, hardcore skeptics are like, oh yeah, a UFO crashing in Mexico. That sounds reasonable. Well, actually it kind of does. We know, we know UFOs are real. Get over that crap. But for you skeptics, there is one site. It is thinkaboutitdocs.com, D-O-C-S. Thinkaboutitdocs.com, who said that they tried to debunk this first. And they said, when we we're trying to debunk it, our first procedure was to verify that Kodak actually did the photo analysis that Mr. McIntyre claimed. So, a letter was sent to Eastman Kodak along with a copy of the prints. We asked for documentation regarding the quality of the print, time frames, and the person's name and title who supposedly did the analysis. We were not surprised when the response came back that Kodak was not aware of any photo work done on the pictures enclosed. Furthermore, their representative said that Kodak would not perform any type of testing that we desired for authenticity. That sounds like a huge strike one, right? But 
You're telling me that 40 or 50 years later, Kodak wouldn't have any record of this? Of course they wouldn't. Of course there wouldn't be any record. And now, if you sent some photos that you got off the internet to Kodak saying, hey, are these photos real? Of course Kodak's going to go, what? No, no. I, we never tried to validate. We don't do this. Sorry. Please go away, you crazy UFO person. So I don't consider that one a huge strike one. I consider it a, of course not. Good try though. Like why not try? Why not go to Kodak, Eastman Kodak and see if they did have something on record? But why would they keep records from 40 or 50 years ago? Then that same uh, website said that our second step in the investigation led us to the Burns Institute. That's the Shriner Hospital for Crippled Children in Cincinnati, Ohio. The hospital is world known for its work with burn patients. We interviewed the chief of staff and allowed him to study the photographs. It was his expert opinion that the photos represented an incinerated body of a human. The swelling of the head could be caused by extreme heat flash. All right. Again, I'm not considering that a strike because yeah, it does look like a burnt up humanoid in a very grainy black and white photo. Guess what? That's what the photographer said when he was there. It was, <laughs> it was a burnt up humanoid, an alien. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, I should, while I'm talking about the photos, I should tell you a little bit about the photos. These photos are, are, have come to be known as the tomato man because of its large roundish head. Now, sadly, if you Google image search tomato man, you're going to find a bunch of photos of like a cartoon tomato man before you actually find the black and white photo of a dead alien. So keep that in mind. I would search like tomato man UFO, but there are photos that are on the internet. Supposedly the photos this guy took, there is one very clear photo that shows more details, including what looks to a lot of people like a pair of wireframe reading glasses that are next to the body still inside the UFO, which I got to say is very odd given that the whole bigger head, no ears, no, no, uh, nose, nothing to keep glasses on. So why would they put glasses next to it? And it does kind of look like glasses were in the photo, but it also looks like someone could have messed with that photo. And the head is very tomato. Like it's a good description. Tomato man, very apt description of the alien. I, again, Google image search, tomato man, UFO, you'll see a bunch of grainy black and white photos or a couple of grainy black and white photos. But um, I don't think that either so far, anything that these guys did actually disprove the story. But then they said this. They said the source said the object was tracked by the Dew radar system. The Distant Early Warning Radar System is a series of radar installations to provide a warning of enemy attack by air, just like I said at the beginning of this. Here's the problem. The project began its planning stages in 1946, but construction did not begin until 1955, did not become operational until 1957. If the alleged source was in the military as described, he would have known that this was erroneous. Yeah. That's a big one. Whoops. That's a real big one. It is possible that the person, you know, either 
it is a hoax and the guy never researched do radar systems to find out when they were first out, it's very possible. Or that the guy just got it wrong and it was just another radar system. And then later on, because he's still with the military, they built the do and he just kind of blurred it together that it was the do radar system. But that's a big one. I'm going to call that one a possible strike one. Then they said, furthermore, there wasn't an operational DS Air Force Base in 1948. That location would have been Abilene Army Airfield, and it was deactivated in 1945, reactivated in 1956. So the base was called DS Air Force Base, not DS. I'm going to call that strike two. That's bad. That seems two very specific things that this guy, again, who's in the military, he said, should have known. Then... There is one photo in the Tomato Man photos that shows what appeared to be three individuals standing behind the body. That's when they had dragged it out from the UFO and it was on that bank. The legs of the person you're seeing is definitely military, they say, since his fatigues are bloused above his field boots. The other, other people seem to be wearing raincoats. If one of these persons is an officer... He is wearing low quarters and a Class A uniform, or greens, they call it. According to the Air Force, the Class A uniform with the black stripe down the side of the pants did not come into use until 1957. And this uniform is only worn during the winter months. So, yeah, strike three on that photo. After all of this info... And that F-94, that thing I was talking about earlier, F-94s weren't out then. It was probably a different plane. Could have been a different plane? Sure. But a lot of these military things that this guy should have known if he was really in the military don't correlate to 1948. So after all of that, my take is that, yeah, the, the photos are probably fake. But again, it doesn't mean that the story is fake. The photos came from a different source. There was a guy talking about photos and then someone who said, well, look at this. I just got these mysterious photos that were sent to me. Huh? Hey, it's the same photos that that other guy was talking about. Okay. That is kind of coincidental that this guy ever got them in the first place. And they don't hold up to scrutiny. It's kind of like that, um, that alien autopsy TV episode that happened forever ago when people are like, well, actually the phone that's on the wall wasn't out at that point in time. And, and the uh, the objects that the 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 utensils that they were using were well, not not utensils the the medical instruments that they were using weren't out at that time and also blah 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 so there was a lot of stuff where people went oh yeah that's bullshit besides the fact that this strange alien autopsy video was just sent to like Fox who bought it and then hired Jonathan Frakes to do come on that's bullshit but these photos kind of the same thing in my book are can I 100% prove they're fake no. But based on what other people have already done to debunk them, seems to be a lot of stuff that does not correlate to 1948. You know, basically, there's always someone trying to add their fake crap to real stories to this day. So, all right, I guess this episode is up to you to decide if you think that the Laredo UFO crash, which is a horribly named UFO crash because it didn't crash in Laredo. It should be whatever town in Mexico what I, that I said earlier. That's what it should be named. But again, 
Do you think the Laredo UFO crash really happened or not? Do you think they could have clamped down on the story for as long as this one did, which was a lot longer than Roswell, but then again, the only reason that Roswell became a thing is because the government basically went, yep, we got ourselves a UFO. And the next day they were like, no, we don't got ourselves a UFO. Look at this uh, aluminum foil, uh, hot air balloon, go away. Weather balloon, now bullshit. So in my opinion, in my opinion only, I do think that the government were slowly figuring out how to contain UFO crashes that were happening keeping people away from them and keeping a clamp on the story for as long as they could. But that's just me. All right, before we go, believe it or not, there was another UFO crash in America on that same day in 1948. But that's a story for another episode. All right, what did you guys think of this one? Like I said, it's just one story. Uh, how, how far into it? Well, we're over an hour. That's fine. Even if it was a 10-minute story, I think it's a great story. This one should be just as famous as... Should be just as famous as the Roswell one. And it just host, isn't. Kurt? Oh, nope. Shut up, Kurt. It, it should be just as famous as the Roswell one, but it just isn't. And it bums me out that it isn't. Um, because it's just as good. UFO crashed, dead bodies, all right there. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Samming, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Hey, 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 hey,